Coming up, local pushback over the Biden vaccine mandate. No mask mandates, no vaccine passports. Let's get this real straight. The governor vowing everything is on the table to stop businesses from complying. Now, I think when you start going out there trying to mandate vaccines, I think that's problematic. Can you enforce mask mandates? Ask the owner of Ray's. Tickets, warnings, now a court order failing to stop breakfast being dished up at the defiant local cafe making national news. Plus, how seriously should we be taking the royals this week? Frankly, it's hard to not go public with this. I get asked this uh, literally everywhere I go. Just more hype, or do the royals really intend to move downtown? It needs to happen. I think it's going to be good for the city. You're going to bring in more businesses. You're going to bring in more bars, more restaurants. If they can resolve the parking and the transportation and all, it has its merits. But that's the hassle. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A., co-trustees and by viewers like you thank you welcome everyone i'm nick haynes and thank you for inviting us into the cozy confines of your home as we dissect our metro's most impactful confusing and befuddling stories tracking this week's headlines from public radio station kcur news director lisa rodriguez from kmbc 9 news chief political reporter michael mahoney keeping tabs on the week's news from behind a microphone at kcmo talk radio pete mundo and from the call newspaper reporter and editor Eric Wesson. The Republican Attorney General in Kansas and his counterpart in Missouri are both threatening to file lawsuits this week to block President Biden's new vaccine mandate. Under Biden's plan, employers with more than 100 workers will have to vaccinate or conduct weekly COVID testing. It could affect some 80 million Americans. The Kansas and Missouri Chamber of Commerce have come out against the directive, and Missouri Governor Mike Parson says he isn't ruling out a special legislative session to challenge what he says is an assault on individual liberty and free enterprise. I think when you start going out there trying to mandate vaccines, I think that's problematic. I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people in the states going to follow that, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of governors follow. But even if there were a special session, other than filing a lawsuit, what could Missouri lawmakers do, Pete Mando, to block the mandate from going into effect? Well, I, I think the best bet, Nick, remains what you talked about earlier, which is the lawsuits being filed by the attorney generals and working this thing through the court system. I mean, we've heard a lot of talk from the governor and from uh, state lawmakers as well in our backyard saying, hey, special session, let's do this. But they've been kind of unclear um, in my talkings with them on what they could or what they would do. It seems like they're very reliant on the attorney general and seeing how it plays out from there. In Florida, Michael Mahoney, the governor there, is going to fine employers who enforce a vaccine mandate $5,000. Could we see something like that in Missouri or Kansas? Yeah, potentially you, you, you could. I doubt that that will ha uh, happen. Um, the, as Pete was discussing, the, the most effective way to challenge this is to do it uh, through a lawsuit. And uh, I expect that the attorneys general Schmidt both of them, Eric and Derek, um, may do something on, along those lines in the future. There's also a suggestion, Lisa, that uh, lawmakers uh, could do what they've done in guns, with guns in Missouri, with the Second, Pre Second Amendment Preservation Act that would block local authorities, state officials from working with the police, law enforcement working with the police uh, to enforce federal gun laws. Couldn't the same be done with regards to vaccine mandates, that no local officials could be helping the federal government make that happen? 
certainly there are lawmakers that are that are interested in something like that. I don't know. I think it's still unclear what kind of effect that would have that is that is more than just a symbolic uh, a symbolic gesture there. I will agree with my colleagues here that the most likely action is going to be a lawsuit filed by the attorneys general. But, but the state could also, Eric West, and say we're not going to give any funding from the state, uh, tax incentives or anything like that, or any government contracts to any company in Missouri. Uh, for uh, enacting a vaccine mandate. So perhaps no more historic tax credits for developers, for instance, downtown, if they had a vaccine mandate? Well, there's one thing that we know for certain, and that's who knows what can happen. Uh, it's, a, it's a very serious possibility that it could happen, but I don't know if, they, if the government, if the federal government says, you know what, if you, if you go against our mandate, we'll cut off federal funding to your states. They could do that as well, since they want to play hardball like that. Many of our viewers, though, Lisa, want to know, uh, how is this all going to be implemented? And perhaps the biggest question is, is the employer, a local employer, going to be responsible for paying for these uh, COVID tests every week for their employees if they are not vaccinated? I mean, I think that's still an open question. If you look at at what has what has happened in this pandemic so far, enforcement and implementation of most of these measures have fallen on local businesses and have fallen on on individual entities and workers at those businesses to enforce. So I think I think that is a legitimate uh, concern from businesses. Not only it, how is this going to affect. Uh, employment when we're already seeing a shortage of workforce, but what kind of costs um, is implementing this going to take? And it, does that outweigh the cost of the penalty for not implementing it? The thing to watch here is what the United States Department of Labor does uh, in terms of uh, putting out the rules behind this ma mandate. And they may not come for a while. And so we'll be left in this limbo about there's an order and there's a mandate, but there are, there's no no rules set to uh, uh, to enforce this. And so we'll be in limbo. Now, what impact, of course, would this plan have on workers? Missouri's largest association of nursing homes telling a hearing of state lawmakers this week that they could lose half their staff. I had a member call me and say this will be used the, 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 the word catastrophic um, impact on our on our workforce. Those fears playing out in school districts as well this week. The Shawnee Mission School District is considering a vaccine requirement for staff, but there are worries it could lead to an exodus of teachers. Please do not force our teachers and staff to choose between the vaccine risks or keeping their job. We will lose many wonderful educators. We already have seen vaccine mandates in school districts in this metro. Look no further than the Kansas City, Missouri School District that are already doing that. Did they see this mass exodus of teachers? Are there classrooms today that are not got a teacher in the front of the classroom as a result of a vaccine mandate? No, and I talked to the uh, superintendent. Actually, he was on my show this weekend, and he said it's gone relatively well. P teachers aren't really pushing back against it. But one of the things that they did, what he did talk about was that they have in-building subs now. And it's not the vaccine, it's the uh, upswing in kids being quarantined. At some schools, they have entire classrooms being quarantined, uh, which means that they're not in school. But there was no real pushback. And in fact, he said, it's been an influx in teachers going to get the vaccine as a result of what's going on in the school districts now. It's not just about teachers. Uh, school districts are having struggles with all manner of staff. Did you see a shortage of bus drivers has prompted the Raytown School District to warn parents 
They may have to eliminate bus service altogether. In fact, in Massachusetts, the governor has now called up the National Guard to drive kids to school. One district in Delaware now paying parents 700 bucks to take their own kids to campus. Any evidence we're having to go that far here, Lisa? know that, that we're at the point where we're calling in the National Guard or offering parents incentives, but certainly this school bus driver shortage is a nationwide thing that is impacting our schools here. I know on the first week of school for Kansas City Public Schools, there were board members driving kids to school. I'm pretty sure the superintendent had to pick up students and get them to their classrooms that day. So this is these these shortages not only of of teachers of bus drivers of substitute teachers um, they're affecting schools and and with this whole pandemic I think we're really on the brink I think schools are are, are keeping their head above water right now but if things were to get any worse or if the holiday season or the flu season were to be really bad I think we're really on the brink of a crisis Pete would you uh, take your own kids to school for seven hundred dollars. Well, I certainly would, and you know, as far as I'm concerned, Mark Bedell driving the bus is earning that three hundred thousand dollar paycheck. That's that's what that is. But uh, you know, seriously, this is this is an issue that is beyond school bus driving, right? There are ten million jobs available in this country. The extra unemployment benefits ended Labor Day. It's probably going to take a few weeks to see uh, what the fallout is is of that. Are people going back into the labor force? But still, it's not happening at the pace a lot of people thought. So there's still more questions than answers on, on where these people have gone and how we get them back into the labor force. But there are some people, including bus drivers, who are qualified. They're just worried that they may catch COVID with all these kids on the bus. Isn't that right, Michael? Well, the, the other thing is the, the idea here of a school bus driver shortage is not new. Uh, a lot of districts, including the ones in our area, struggle with this on an annual ba uh, basis. It's a, it's a somewhat difficult job. It's a big vehicle. You're hauling kids around. Um, it, it's complicated. The hours aren't that, uh, uh, that great. Uh, school bus shortages are not just a function of the pandemic. They have been a problem for school districts, certainly in our area, for quite some time. Despite tickets, threats of fines and a court order, Ray's Cafe is still open and dishing up breakfast this week raises the Blue Springs restaurant that has been making national news after its owner refused to require masks. To avoid being shut down, the restaurant skirted the county mandate by declaring itself a private club charging diners a dollar to enter. This was supposed to be settled in court this week, but the customers are still coming in and out and they've now got the support of the Missouri Attorney General. No mask mandates, no vaccine passports, no Vaccine mandates for COVID and no more lockdowns, okay? Let's get this real straight. I find this story kind of remarkable, Eric Wesson, that uh, with all of that effort, you know, we've got judges involved, tickets and fines, and, uh, you know, the, the county couldn't find a way to shut off the electricity or the water from this restaurant to stop it from opening? It's, it's just absolutely mind-boggling. And then yesterday, we were supposed to have a, a hearing about it, and then they got a continuance on the hearing. So, you, you know, it's, it, one side of it seems extremely political, since the attorney general is running for the United States Senate. The other side of it, okay, so we got this large influx of people that are kept testing positive, getting sick. You know, our obituary section in our newspaper, we had to go up pages last week because people are dying from this, and nobody seems like they're taking it serious. Pete, any evidence that other restaurants and cafes on either side of state line have decided to uh, mirror what Ray's Cafe has been doing? 
believe there was that one bar in in Kansas City, Missouri that uh, that did go along about a week and a half ago or so. But is there is it happening on mass scale? Uh, not that we're aware of right now, but it is interesting to see how you know this single mother cafe owner has become a cultural linchpin in many ways in the Kansas City area. She's made national TV appearances uh, in the wake of all this, and it just tells you and shows you how how divisive this issue is right now in this moment in time. Resistance to wearing masks is playing out on the Kansas side of the state line this week. A public hearing in Johnson County over potential changes to the county charter was abruptly suspended after many in the crowd refused to wear masks or socially distanced. The video feed of the hearing was cut, so sorry we can't show you that, but you can get a clear sense of what's happening just from listening. Do I have a motion to adjourn? The meeting is adjourned. Thank you. All right, you're getting a sense of it there, but are we getting to the point, Lisa, that we can't have public officials meeting with the public at any point in time now? What we're seeing is, is I mean, really a remarkable trend that we have seen over the last year where even the most mundane of issues, the changing of the, of the county charter, become... Um, polarized and become extreme and people um, people want to have their voices heard and they'll go to any extent to do it so I don't I don't think this is the end of public discourse um, for local governing bodies but it certainly is something that that bodies that um, county commissions and city councils will have to deal with moving forward because it is hard to get through a public meeting these days without something without blowing up in 50 years it's going to be fascinating to take a look at how this chapter in American history is written, uh, given the division that has emerged here between individual rights and what is public health policy, essentially. And uh, I don't know how this is going to resolve itself. I'm not going to be around in 50 years, but this is going to be a very interesting chapter about the development of the 21st century, and it will have a long-range impact, I believe. But uh, Pete, myself, Eric, and Elisa will be around in 50 years as we dissect that point on this program with you at home. Well, some topics I'm reluctant to even weigh in on in this program because they've come up time and time again without any resolution, and sometimes they're just trial balloons that are going nowhere. Is that how we should view this week's announcement from the owner of the Royals? I would just tell you that uh, I guess we're a little bit beyond just listening to others' ideas. We are conducting an internal process um, to help us evaluate uh, our options for where we play, and one of those options is to uh, play downtown baseball. Royals owner John Sherman's words setting off another frenzy of news stories, but can we dispense with this topic in 10 seconds and say, move on, this is going nowhere, Michael Mahoney, or is it what we heard this week, something completely different that we need to be paying attention to? This is the first step to, toward serious consideration of building a baseball stadium downtown. It's happening now because even though the leases don't expire until 2031, uh, in terms of the timeline to deal with this sort of stuff, it is now approaching into an appropriate time uh, to, to deal with this. Uh, a couple of things that, uh, to remember. John Sherman seems to be much more comfortable with the idea of a downtown baseball stadium than David Glass ever was. And there is more evidence now because of other cities that have downtown stadiums that they do work, provided that they go in at the right spot. John Sherman mentioned this week, Eric Wesson, that this had to have a positive impact on the community. And more than that, a particular focus, he says, quote, 
out on those underrepresented parts of our community. So in the realm of building a ballpark, what does that mean? Well, I had the opportunity, I can't disclose the individual, but I had the opportunity to ride around and look at some possible sites. And the sites that we kind of looked at were in areas that were pretty blighted and a baseball stadium would go extremely well in those areas and help develop around the park. Because if you if you look at things statistically, wherever there's a baseball park downtown, there's a thriving economy around most of them, not all of them. And downtown Kansas City right now is kind of ripe for that. Okay, You've got was, the, was there a specific <laughs> site mentioned by this undisclosed anonymous source, Eric? I... I have said probably, oh, that's him calling me right now. No. Uh, <laughs> we looked at several, several sites that would be ideal for a baseball park. Now, whether they're going to be able to acquire all that land that we looked at as a great place for it is another conversation. But it's, it, it seems to be a great idea. At the top of the program, we heard some sound bites from fans, first blush reactions, people. One big concern, of course, was, oh, my God, what a hassle with parking. It's easy out at the sports complex. How are we going to even find parking downtown? And that's a legitimate concern. I mean, nothing better than getting in out of the K with a family. You know, you do it in five minutes. It's it's very pleasant and enjoyable. And and just remember this, too. It's not just John Sherman. He's majority owner. But you've got a lot of minority owners here with the Royals who have their own incentives around Kansas City. All right. Whether it's parking garages, land downtown, whatever it might be. And that's fine. But then to ask the taxpayer on top of it. Uh, for some dough is where you get some questions. And John Sherman made it very clear. He was asked about uh, public money. And he said, well, we already have that going on right now. The implication to me there was we need the public dollars. The question is going to be how much. Yeah, Lisa, yeah, that's an interesting question because um, it's easy to say, hey, that sounds fun that we can have bars and restaurants downtown. But how much are you willing to fork out of your pocketbook to pay for it? Right. And, and, and taxpayers in Kansas City have already been paying an addition to their sales tax to fund the current structures. So that's the biggest question to me right now is how much of this is going to fall on on taxpayer backs to fund? And is this the appropriate use of taxpayer dollars? And then the other thing to consider is if we upgrade the Royals Stadium or bring it downtown, Certainly, the Chiefs are going to want some sort of parity there and, and may want the updates of their own. And so I, I while the idea is exciting and intriguing, I am I'm very interested in what that taxpayer component will be. One other thing, the, um, the dynamics behind a public private partnership for a function like this, a sports, a sports stadium, have changed dramatically, dramatically in just the 10 or 11 years since the sports complex was refinanced. You are going to see a requirement for much more private uh, money going into a project like this than has been uh, history in the past. And what do much we do, uh, Pete Mundo, with Kauffman Stadium? Uh, that will just be abandoned? Uh, knock it down. Chiefs will use it for parking and make a ton of money off of it. I mean, that's, no. that's the reality. You, you turn it into the, an annex for the baseball academy, and then you let the uh, minor league teams go in and play there. But one other thing that Who's I wanted to say that? about huh? Who's paying for that? County? You. <laughs> I, I'm not a but, but Back to what Pete said about parking. Don't be surprised if the plan would include a double deer 
double-tier parking garage as well. The last time we discussed this topic, I thought one of the reasons for not moving downtown was because a huge funding source for the Royals right now is the parking. They get all that money coming in, which they'd completely lose uh, if they went downtown. They would figure out a way to put that in, in as well. Because what is it, like $70 to park at the Chiefs games or $75? That, and that's a lot of revenue. Now, while many of us, for good reason, want to know what would happen to Kauffman Stadium if the Royals moved downtown, there are lots of big buildings that are now being abandoned. What should happen to them? County leaders announced they will close the downtown Jackson County Jail and build a new facility on the site of a mobile home park. Now, the chair of the county legislature, Dan Tarwater, has a proposal. He tells the Martin City Telegraph that the county should now turn it over to the city to house the homeless. He says it has showers, it has a big kitchen so you can make meals. You've got 700-plus beds you could put people in. Remove the bars, he says and make it apartment style with no firm fix for the homeless issue. Might this have more positive community impact than moving the Royals seven miles down the road, Lisa? If, if this idea were to materialize and, and move forward in any way, you would see a lot of really polarizing opinions on, on this as well. I mean, there you, you make a good point that it's got showers, it's got a kitchen as well. But, you know, for, for better or worse, with, with homeless populations that we have seen, you know, even if it's in the suburbs, neighbors outcry, say that they don't want that in their backyard. I worry about those arguments happening here, right or wrong, but I, I certainly don't think it's as, it's, it's not a done deal. It won't be an easy deal to make. The idea of a eight or nine story high rise homeless shelter on the uh, southeast uh, end of downtown uh, is going to be a really tough sell for lots of different reasons, including the one that we just discussed about uh, the continuing renaissance of downtown with the possibility of a baseball stadium there. There are lots of details to work out on this. I think Lisa's really nailed it on the head here that it's interesting, but Interesting, but interesting, but. You, you can do three more of those, I think, Michael. We're ready for that. Now, before we leave you this week, we want to say happy birthday to the Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts. It turns 10 years old this week. Yes, it's been that long. On this day, a decade ago, we were getting our first glimpse inside. I actually reached out to the Kaufman Center to see if they'd be interested in coming on the show this week to celebrate those 10 years. But I was told we're taking a pause on that celebration until, quote, the time is right. But just because they're not in the mood to celebrate, it doesn't mean we can't. Is it appropriate to raise a glass to what they've done there, Pete? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been part of we're talking about the renaissance of downtown Kansas City. Obviously, it's uh, played a role in it, and it's been a staple down there, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a great success. So, yeah, 10 years to them, and what you continue to see downtown has been impressive. The question, of course, remains uh, how much, when it comes to tax subsidies and things of that nature, is it going to cost? But overall, absolutely. Cheers to them. What you didn't but, see in that video, by the way, Lisa, was any masks and people showing vaccine cards, which in the last few days, for the first time, they're now doing over there at the Kaufman Center with the most strictest COVID plan uh, in the metro. Did that lead to the type of long lines we saw on opening day? Uh, people being late for the shows because uh, they had to show all of this new identification for the first time? No, and, and my colleagues here might contradict me, but I didn't, I didn't hear anything about any difficulties um, in those first shows as well. So if it didn't make news, then I, I, assume, it, I assume it went pretty smoothly.
I'm just, you know, yes, uh, the Kaufman Performing Arts Center is a reason for celebration. The acoustics in that building are astonishing. Um, and it has a, a wide range of artists that, that it invites into it. And uh, so when they're ready to celebrate being 10 years old, I think Kansas City ought to join in the celebration. But the city and our region, more importantly, is very lucky to have a, a high caliber performing arts center like that. It's a gem. Now, when you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every story grabbing the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? For many Kansas Cityans, the Chiefs back in action and delivering an exciting win was the biggest news story of our week, but it's not the only one. There are big student protests at KU over an alleged sexual assault at a frat house. A 22-year-old police officer is dead after a shootout in Independence. Blaze Madrid Evans was still in training and had been on the streets for just two months. Did taking school online hurt your kids' learning? Missouri posts its latest test scores, and they're down across the board. A seven-point drop in math and sizable learning losses in English and science. School lunches now the latest victim of COVID in the metro. We are definitely in crisis mode. It's just pure chaos. We're trying to find the food. A shortage of food distribution workers and truck drivers forcing schools to get creative with their lunch menus. Some schools in Missouri resorting to calling Pizza Hut to ensure their students are fed. The brisket and ribs are back. The American Royal Barbecue making its comeback this week after being cancelled last year due to the pandemic. And prepare to be scared. The Beast marks its 30th birthday. Kansas City's haunted houses reopen their cobweb doors this weekend. All righty, Eric Wesson, did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? Drum roll, please. The Kansas City Museum will have a soft opening on October 1st and the grand opening on the 21st. I'm on the board. We've done a phenomenal job. It's a great place to go. Pete. Standardized test scores uh, was on that list neck uh, down across Missouri, five to 10 points. And something that gets lost in that study, 50,000 students weren't even part of that standardized test program to find out where kids were compared to last year. So you know the numbers are probably inflated based on where they really are. When we look back in 50 years, one of the biggest mistakes we've made over the past 18 months, treating young people like they're 85-year-old diabetics and letting an entire generation fall behind academically. Michael. The map scores that Pete just referenced there, without, without question, that is a big uh, sign of what's happened to education during COVID. Lisa. We've talked a lot on this program about, about what divides us and what separates us. So I'm going to pick something that brings us all together. And so I'm going to go with the Chiefs, because if Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs can give us that entertainment and that kind of suspense and entertainment every week, I'll take that moment of joy. And haunted houses don't bring us all together. You're not ready to be spooked. OK, that is it. We'll say our week has been reviewed. Our thanks to Channel 9's Michael Mahoney. Thank you for being with us. And Lisa Rodriguez from KCUR News. From the bunker of the Call newspaper at 18th and Vine, Eric Wesson. And weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.